Chapter 21 Pure Nerve Oi, Potter, get your lazy arse out of that bed. Oi, Potter, get your lazy arse out of that bed. Oi, Potter, get your lazy arse. Harry slammed his hand down on the alarm, his heart sinking at the sound of Oliver's voice. He reached for his wand and lit his bedside lamp, squinting against the light. You should get a different clock, Ron mumbled, rolling out of bed. He stood in the middle of the room, looking confused. Early, he muttered. Too early. He went slowly toward his bureau and began dressing. Where do you have to be? Harry asked, sticking his glasses on his nose and getting up as well. He wondered what sort of robes he ought to wear for dragon riding, then decided it didn't matter. Whatever he wore would get burned to a crisp. Going to London. Ron was struggling, in a state of half-sleep, to get his arm through his sleeve. It came out of the neck of his robes, and he grunted. With Sirius, Harry pulled on a set of old Hogwarts robes over his shirt and trousers, wondering if it was stupid to go about with a Gryffindor crest on now that school was out. But the only other robes he had were either for dress affairs or for Quidditch. He hadn't ever thought about getting normal ones. Are you going to the ministry? Yeah. Wouldn't hurt to see a real trial. Ron managed to get his robes on properly, and he buttoned them up. Anyway, if it's boring, I'll go say hi to Bill. Cool. Harry tied his shoes and straightened up, holding his stomach with one hand. He was going to throw up. He knew he should probably eat breakfast. Going to Azkaban on an empty stomach was probably a really stupid idea. He'd need energy to ride a dragon. But Harry had a very clear memory of coming face to face with a Hungarian horntail and knew that it was suicide to get anywhere near a fifty-foot, fire-breathing creature, let alone go riding on top of one. Fear made eating seem impossible. Let's eat. Ron tucked his money pouch into his pocket and grabbed the doorknob. Come on, Harry, he said, turning back when Harry didn't answer. He gave Harry a knowing look. Look, none of your not-hungry business today. If you're going to be an idiot and do this thing, then you're going to do it like a normal... Ron shook his head. Never mind the normal bit. Just eat something. Harry wanted to smile, but his nerves prevented it. I think I'm going to be sick, he managed. Yeah, well, I'd be sick too if I was going to do what you're doing. Oh, come on, Harry, I'm kidding. You know it's safe enough. It's madness. But the dragons are trained, and if you've lived through... Ron sighed and smoothed down his hair. If you can't eat now... Take something with you, all right? All right. Come on, then. Be down in a minute. Ron shook his head, looking exasperated and rather like Hermione, but went downstairs without saying anything else. Harry looked around the room, wondering morbidly whether he'd ever see it again, then decided to take Ron's advice and bring food with him. He grabbed his old satchel and headed toward the kitchen. Harry? Harry turned at the top of the stairs and stiffened. Sirius was standing outside his own door, dressed for court and looking quite grave. Hey, Sirius, he said, as lightly as he could. Have a good trial. Sirius seemed not to hear him. We haven't talked. He rubbed his chin, and Harry could hear the scrape of unshaven skin against his godfather's fingers. Sirius still had bags under his eyes, and he hadn't looked so thin since just after his escape from Azkaban. Charlie assures me that the dragons are very well trained and that there's very little danger to you from the Dementors. Apparently, the dragons are able to deflect. Sirius seemed to lose his train of thought. He shut his eyes and sharply shook his head. 
serious? Harry asked carefully. He felt strange and awkward, talking about Azkaban with Sirius. He had no idea how to navigate the conversation. Sirius opened his eyes and laughed harshly. Here it is, Harry. I know you can take care of yourself, but damn it, don't let me hear that you've been within fifty yards of one of those things. I'm not planning to get any closer than I have to, Harry said truthfully. And no heroics. Harry bristled. What's that supposed to mean? Sirius gave him a grim smile. It means I want you to keep safe. It means I don't want you taking stupid, unnecessary risks. Fine. Harry gripped his bag, wondering just what he'd done that was so stupid and unnecessary that deserved this warning. Perhaps he shouldn't have done anything in the fight against Voldemort. Perhaps that had been a big show of stupid heroics. Anything else? If you're asked to do anything that's more strenuous or dangerous than any other rider, I want you to refuse. Harry snorted softly. He couldn't think of anything more dangerous or strenuous than holding back Dementors with flight-trained dragons. Yeah, all right, he said, letting an edge of sarcasm creep into his voice. He wasn't sure why, but Sirius's advice was highly irritating at the moment. And if you... Sirius began, but Harry held up his hand. Hold on, he said, turning his head toward the girls' room and listening closely. There had been a noise. Sirius sighed. Harry, I know that after what you've seen, you probably don't appreciate being told. Hold on, Harry hissed. Sirius frowned, but bent his head to listen. What is it? Harry strained to hear it again, a low, tearful sound, like a voice. He could have sworn he'd heard... No, Tom. There was a thrashing noise of sheets being thrown about. Sirius's frown deepened. Is that Ginny? he whispered, and moved to pass Harry and open the girls' room door. Harry blocked him. Have a good trial, he repeated quickly. I'll do what you said. I'll be fine. As he spoke, he backed toward Ginny's door and groped for the handle until he found it. See you, he said then pushed his way into the room and shut the door behind him, leaving a very surprised-looking Sirius standing in the hall. The room was still dark, as the shades were drawn, and Harry hesitated at the door, waiting for his eyes to adjust. Please, not Harry. The words were more moaned than spoken, as Ginny's desperate, mumbling, one-way conversation continued. Harry shivered. He didn't have to hear Tom Riddle's threats to know what they were. It was an old nightmare, and Hermione wasn't home to do anything about it. He could see Jenny now. She lay flat on her back with her covers kicked off and her nightdress twisted around her, revealing a good part of one pale, freckled leg. Harry faltered, suddenly not sure if he should be in here, nightmare or not. Crookshanks eyed him from Hermione's empty pillow as Jenny's hands thrashed uselessly at her sides. You're not him. Harry didn't know what to do. Her words were so clear that it was as if she was awake with her eyes closed. Her face was white and taut, and her breathing grew labored. Go back, go back in, let me out, someone help me. She was as frightened as if it were real. Real tears slid from the corners of her closed eyes and coursed down her temples. Unable to watch any longer, Harry went to her side and copied the things that he had seen Hermione do. Ignoring the pounding in his blood, and doing his best not to notice how closely her nightdress fitted to the top of her, Harry sat gingerly on the end of her bed and took her hand. 
it was hot and sweaty, and he repeatedly smoothed it, stroking her fingers and hushing her as quietly as he could. Jenny, he's gone. It's all right. Harry! She rolled slightly toward him. I'm here. He squeezed her hand and watched her face relax just a fraction. He continued to touch her gently in what he'd hoped was a soothing way, letting his fingers travel up to her elbow and back down again. When her expression softened, he did it again, and continued to repeat the action until her breathing was regular. She rolled entirely onto her side, burying her face against the outside of Harry's thigh and throwing her arm across his leg. Harry looked down at the bit of Jinny's profile that he could see, feeling oddly at ease. He brushed her damp hair away from her cheek, felt her sigh against his leg, and he wished it were so easy to sit near her and touch her when she was awake. He also wished that he didn't have to leave. He wouldn't have minded sitting next to Jinny and guarding her sleep until she woke up. He waited as long as he possibly could before disapparating for work. "'Bye,' he whispered, when he didn't have another minute to spare. As if Jinny had heard him, she tightened her arm around his legs. Very gently, Harry pried her loose, and he couldn't help smiling when she rolled onto her back with a bit of a pout on her sleeping face. "'Sleep tight,' he said quietly, bending his face close to hers. And then, because it seemed the natural thing to do, he kissed her. It was quick and soft, and Jenny didn't even stir. But Harry drew away with a pounding heart, staring down at her face. His mouth burned. The sun was rising outside. It sliced through the blinds and lit up Jinny's face in sections, illuminating her skin and hair. She stretched her arms over her head and sighed, and her eyes blinked open. Harry froze. She was awake, but she hadn't focused on him, hadn't recognized him. She would go back to sleep if he stayed still. Harry held his breath and waited, his pulse racing. When Jinny's eyes fell shut again, he exhaled in relief and when she rolled away onto her other side, Harry got up from her bed, drew his wand, and disapparated. A moment later, he stumbled into a dimly lit room. There were about a dozen people standing around, some talking, and some standing in corners, looking nervous. He picked out Charlie Weasley's bright head of hair and waved when Charlie turned around. "'All right, everyone,' said Charlie, acknowledging Harry with a nod and then addressing the group. "'We're just waiting for one more, and then we'll get started.' Harry took the opportunity to look around the room. He saw Charlie's friend Mick talking to a woman he recognized as Lavender Brown's sister. There were two older, burly-looking men who looked like they'd dealt with dragons before. They were joking with a tall woman with long blonde hair who was gripping an old, rather scorched Nimbus 2000 tightly in her hand. They all seemed very tall and grown up to Harry, who scratched at the Hogwarts crest on his robes and wondered if there was a spell to remove it without leaving a mark. It's good to see you again, Harry Potter. Harry turned to see Victor Crumb standing in behind him. He smiled, relieved that there was someone here that he knew, and shook Victor's hand. You're riding the dragons? Harry asked. Brilliant. "'Yes,' said Victor, who did not look quite as surly as he used to. "'My wife, Rosita, she thinks it is exciting. "'She is not the magic, and does not understand the danger of dragons.' "'Your wife?' said Harry, curiously. "'Ron would certainly be interested to hear this information.' 
he realized that Hermione was probably quite aware that Victor had married and had never bothered to inform Ron. Victor nodded, standing a bit straighter than normal. Yes, I was married two years ago. We have a young daughter now. Her name is Alana. Tell me, continued Victor, lowering his voice, that girl over there who is talking to Mr. Weasley, is she also from Hogwarts? I saw her flying once. Harry moved his head so that he could see where Victor was looking. He blinked. In the dim light of the room, he could make out short, spiky hair, not unlike his own. He couldn't see her face, but something about her posture was very familiar. At that moment, the girl looked over at them and smiled broadly at Harry. She said something to Charlie and then walked to where Victor and Harry were standing. It was Cho Chang. Harry hadn't seen her since she'd left Hogwarts, and he'd been so preoccupied with Voldemort that he hadn't even bothered to wonder what she'd been doing. She looked even prettier than usual with her short hair. He felt a familiar flip-flop in his stomach when she said, Hello, Harry, and introduced herself to Victor Crumb, although he soon found himself reflecting that he'd never noticed how short she was. He'd grown used to Ginny, who was almost as tall as he was, and who always seemed to be looking him in the eyes. "'You're flying the dragons, too?' asked Harry. Cho had been an excellent seeker when she had been on the Ravenclaw Quidditch team. Cho jerked her head in Charlie's direction. "'I've been working with the dragons for the past year. I started just out of Hogwarts as an apprentice, and then got promoted to Charlie's assistant just before the end of the war.' The three of them talked for a few minutes. Victor apparently already knew that Hermione was at Cortona, which didn't surprise Harry at all. Cho gushed over a picture of a pretty, giggling baby that Victor kept tucked into a locket under his vest, and told Harry she hoped to get to the burrow to see Leo very soon. Harry was surprised that Cho knew about the baby, but quickly remembered that Penny had been in Ravenclaw. Cho began to reassure them that riding dragons was really okay, once you got the hang of it, when the door to the headquarters burst open. A draft of cold air made the hairs on Harry's neck stand on end, and what he saw in the doorway did nothing to calm his nerves. Draco Malfoy stood in the doorway, looking amazingly healthy for someone who had supposedly suffered lasting damage to his head, despite the large bandage that circled his injury at an angle. Then again, Harry reflected, he hadn't thought Malfoy's head had been entirely right to begin with, and he wondered what Malfoy thought he was on about, busting into private ministry business. Certainly he wasn't going to volunteer to ride a dragon. Harry snorted at the memory of Malfoy, wailing for months about what Buckbeak had done to him. Hippogriff claws paled in comparison with dragon talons. Malfoy didn't have the guts. Malfoy strode over to Lavender's sister and began to speak with her in quiet tones, but their voices carried. Harry could make out what they were saying, but he didn't understand. Mortar's stable is in terrible condition. It's bad enough that he's been exposed to such terrible weather but I'm not paying extra money to have him receiving the same care as the common Yes, Mr. Malfoy, I understand. We'll see to it immediately. Over Rose's head, Malfoy caught sight of Harry, and he twisted his face into an even more unpleasant scowl. All right, everyone. Charlie's voice was loud, and everyone stood at attention. Follow me. We're going to give you your uniforms and introduce you to some common equipment. They all followed Charlie through a narrow corridor to a sort of locker room, Harry keeping one eye on Malfoy, who stayed with the group as if he had something to do with it. They came to a large, narrow table, 
which ran the length of the wall and contained very heavy-looking robes and other gadgets. Charlie stood next to it with his friend Mick. Cho moved up to the front with them, and Malfoy slid into her place, right next to Harry. Harry shot him an irritable look, but bit his tongue. Lavender's sister had just begun to speak in a business-like tone. We would like to welcome you all and thank you for accepting the task of joining the permanent Azkaban patrol. I am Rose K. Brown, secretary privy to the Minister of Magic, and am in charge of supervising this operation. You will notice me visiting on occasion, and should you have any problems that you don't feel comfortable discussing with your immediate supervisors, Mr. Charles Weasley and Mr. Michael O'Malley, she gestured to Charlie and Mick in turn, then you may speak with me. Your safety is the Ministry's biggest concern. Harry stopped listening to her after a while. He was more interested in the equipment on the table, and only began to pay attention when Charlie started to explain how the robes worked, what the special gloves were made out of, and when to use the omnioculars. Cho held up each piece of gear in turn and passed it around to each of the riders as Charlie spoke. She obviously knew how to use everything, and Harry reminded himself had ridden a dragon before as well. He knew that Charlie and Mick had ridden dragons, and he looked around the room. The two older men and the woman with them must have ridden dragons during the war. All three of them dismissively passed the equipment back to Mick without glancing at it, and one of the men already seemed to be wearing appropriate dragon-riding attire. What had he gotten himself into? Ron and Ginny were right. He was completely mad. Harry wondered for a moment if Voldemort had placed a curse on him as a small child that gave him a compulsion to lead himself into danger. Potter, are you going to adopt that belt, or are you going to pass it on? He heard Malfoy's drawling voice and looked down to see a pale hand stretched impatiently in front of him. He handed the wand belt to Malfoy without looking at his face, although he did notice that Malfoy was wearing a familiar ring. It was familiar because of the pattern of the giant M in the center of it had been imprinted on Ron's face for several days. Harry felt a wave of fury and turned to glare at Malfoy. What's the matter, Potter? Malfoy turned his head disdainfully and gave a pointed smirk at Harry's Gryffindor badge. Don't like sharing? Want to be heroic all on your own? Just trying to work out what you think you're doing here, Harry replied through gritted teeth. You're not the only Quidditch player who was invited, Malfoy smiled. Difficult to take, isn't it? The PAP must have been hard up for a ninth rider, Harry retorted, his hands clenching angrily. Malfoy was going to dragon ride. He was going to be around, making this whole thing a hundred times worse. Harry seethed and muttered under his breath, You must not have made the Falcons if you bothered coming up here. Oh, no, replied Draco in a voice that could freeze water. I could have had a position on the team. I just thought this would be much more interesting. More interesting than hanging around hospitals, acting injured to get people in trouble? Can't imagine what you're talking about. And if you think the fact that I'm able to walk again is going to help Weasley in court, then you... Draco stopped himself in an uncharacteristic act of willpower and grunted. Harry didn't have time to come up with any sort of nasty response, because Charlie was now unrolling a large map, which hovered in the air in front of them. This is a map of the area, explained Mick. We'll be giving you all copies to take home. It's important to memorize how everything is set up. Azkaban is at the center. He pointed his wand at a drawing of Azkaban, and it became three-dimensional, floating in front of its space on the map. 
Harry could see dark windows, cold, wet rocks, and gray walls. At the base of the fortress, small robed figures slithered in and out of caves and doors. Dementors. Harry shivered. Draco snickered. His posture was easy, and there was no trace of fear in his expression. He seemed to smile at the Dementors, and Harry felt distinctly uneasy. Mick pointed out several gaps in the prison walls, then restored the Azkaban fortress to the map. He drew a green ring in the water around the island, and it began to glow. So far, the Aurors have been keeping the Dementors from migrating farther than this. Of course, a few have slipped through the cracks. That's unacceptable. We're hoping that the dragons will enable us to keep all of the Dementors on the island itself. The training continued throughout the morning. He, Victor, and Malfoy were paired off with the more experienced riders and would be trained in flight over the course of the next week. The man who was already outfitted in dragon riding gear, and whose name was Burke, assured Harry that riding a dragon was a hundred times more wonderful than flying on a broomstick. Harry thought about asking why Burke had only volunteered to be on the relief crew if it was so wonderful, but he bit his tongue and looked around the room at everyone else. Mick was strapping on a fireproof vest and demonstrating its cords to Lavender's sister, who was jotting things down on a notepad. Cho pointed out something on the map to Charlie, and he listened to every word she said, his brow furrowed in concentration. When she stopped talking, he gave her a light clap on the shoulder. "'Good call,' Harry heard him say. "'Don't know how I've done without you all summer.' Cho didn't seem to notice that Charlie's neck was pink when he had said this. She thanked him, turned back to the map, and studiously trailed her wand across certain areas as if memorizing them. But Harry, who had a lot of experience watching Ron go red, narrowed his eyes at Charlie and wondered what was happening there. Malfoy looked somewhat unnerved by his trainer, a blonde woman called Lisa, which Harry found amusing, considering she was a good six inches shorter than he was. Harry could hear her talking very quickly about breakaway harnesses and wildly weaving her hands about to demonstrate while Draco leaned back to avoid getting hit. On the other hand, Victor and his trainer, Andreas, seemed to get on well. Andreas also had a thick accent, but it seemed to help their communication, rather than hinder it. Yes, Victor was saying, I am well-schooled in winch arms. Good, Andreas grunted. You will need them to keep dragon fire from flying back into your face as you ride. Harry swallowed and tried to concentrate on something other than the vision he'd just had of a giant cloud of orange fire flying toward his head. It was good that they weren't riding today, he thought. He'd had enough, really. It would take all night to get used to the idea of all of this gear, not to mention Malfoy's presence. Better, really, to wait until tomorrow to throw dragons into the mix. Everyone! Charlie clapped his hands. Oi! He pointed his wand to a spot on the map and a section of shoreline glowed blue. This is where the dragons are kept. Mind you don't apparate right into the enclosure. He grinned. See you outside it. He disapparated, with Mick and Cho close behind him. One by one, the other riders left the room, until Harry and Burke were the only ones left. Ready to meet your new partner? Burke asked, slipping on a pair of fireproof goggles and handing a pair to Harry. You'll want these. Harry did want them. He would have liked to encase the whole of himself in a fireproof bubble, actually, but he accepted the goggles without a word and disapparated after Burke. The Scottish shoreline was wide and cold. 
Harry shivered and looked around nervously, hoping he hadn't apparated right between a pair of giant beasts. Harry, Charlie said, approaching him. You first. Come on with me. Entrance is this way. It was invisible. Rose Brown had told them about the diversion enchantments, but Harry was stunned to see how perfectly they worked. Charlie walked him between two standing stones, through which there appeared to be nothing but cliffs and sky. The moment Harry passed between them, however, he gasped and took a giant step back. Dragons! They were stunned in their enclosures, but they were still massive and frightening. Harry had an unhappy sensation that he remembered from his fourth year of being nothing more than a bit of toast to these creatures. Huge snorts of smoke came out of their wide nostrils, and their wings curled and uncurled slightly as they breathed. The tips of their fangs showed, their talons gleamed, and these were the tame ones. There were keepers all over the place, too, running about and floating food in the air in front of them, enormous carcasses which they dropped into even bigger troughs. Harry grimaced when blood slopped out of one. He was smaller than the meal that the dragon had just been served. Beautiful, aren't they? Charlie breathed, sounding more like Hagrid than ever. He sighed happily and folded his arms. Glad you decided to give them a chance, Harry. You won't be sorry. They're the most fantastic beasts on earth, dragons. Wait until you've got one under you. There's nothing like it. Harry agreed that there probably wasn't, and Charlie walked in between the sleeping giants, pointing them out and calling them by name. They passed one that wasn't a Welsh green, and Harry gaped at it. That's a Chinese fireball, he said slowly. But... Charlie rolled his eyes. Ruddy Malfoy is too good for a regular flight dragon, he hissed under his breath. Had that one brought from home. Calls it Mordor. Bet it served in the Dark Army. Charlie glared at the dragon, which snored and shot two tiny mushroom-shaped balls of smoke out of its nose. I love fireballs, but that one's going to cause trouble. I can feel it. Still, we had to let Malfoy come when he offered, and this was the stipulation. I want my dragon. Spoiled little. Charlie called Malfoy several names, all of which Harry agreed to, then led him to the last huge stable. Here's yours, he said, pointing to the motionless mountain of an animal. Recognize him? Harry narrowed his eyes. This dragon wasn't a Welsh green either. I thought you said only the common Welsh were trained, he protested. Why are you giving me this one? Look close, Charlie smiled. Bet he'll recognize you when he wakes up. Smart beasts they are. Remember sense for years. Had him since he was a baby. Usually this type's monstrous. They'll even feed on other dragons. But he's the tamest of all our crew. Harry gave Charlie an incredulous stare. Feed on other dragons? He asked, his voice breaking. He looked warily at the jet-black ridges on the dragon's back. Its lizard-like expanse of skin and its sharp, shining bronze horns. What kind of dragon is it? he asked, gulping in fear as Charlie stepped up to the stunned beast and patted him gently on the side of his snout. But he yanked his glove hand away when the dragon burped in sleep, sending a burst of fire at Harry, who yelped and jumped back. He's a Norwegian ridgeback, Charlie answered cheerfully, giving the dragon a fond look. Aren't you, Norbert? 